0: February may be the shortest month of the year, but we still found room for a huge special event. In addition to our regular monthly shows on February 13th in San Diego and February 21st in Denver, the narrators will be guest curating Untitled Final Fridays at the Denver Art Museum on February 23rd. For one night only, we're taking over the entire museum, filling it with storytellers, artists, activities, and more. Check out our Facebook page and website in the coming weeks for more details, and we sure hope to see you there
1: next storyteller all right next storyteller this next storyteller our next storyteller welcome to the narrators podcast
0: this podcast collects stories that were told at the narrators a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme when he's not writing product descriptions for oscilloscopes richard freeland tells stories in san diego he told this one on december 12th 2017 at tiger tiger tavern the theme was chance Yeah, this is my perfect height, yes. Hello, I'm going to be talking about actually a tall person today, speaking of height. Um, And I'm going to be telling a story about the summer that I lived in Japan. Um, And I was trying to think of which story I should choose, because there's a lot of wild things that happened while I was there. Um, uh, But I decided I had only met one Nikolai in my life, so I'll tell a story about um, my dear friend Nikolai and the chance he took in coming to Japan. Um, so the first morning I met Nikolai was my second morning in Japan and I sort of groggily stumbled down the stairs um, from in, in my, my three-story dorm and went into the dining hall and I began what would become my morning ceremony of eating this very, very fluffy yet very inexpensive bread we were served each morning um, and then watching um, uh, this this particular Japanese channel that would feature news stories every morning. And I believe the story that morning was about cute porcupines um, because about 70% of Japanese news media has to do with cute animals. Um, and this is true. And it's far superior to what we have to offer. And it's really a shame. Um, so I, I, was, I was munching on my fluffy toast, and I, w- I looked around the table and I was like, and you know, in Japan, it's it's there's there's not a lot of diversity. It's this, this room would be very diverse room um, for Japan. But our table and and our our dorm was was even more diverse than what we have here. There was there were people from Uzbekistan, from Austria, from Mexico, from from uh, um, countries that I've forgotten. I don't know there, Estonia, even Estonia. Who knows what that is? Um, but um, basically, I was looking around the room because I was sizing up. Um, my my dorm mates to see who I wanted to go running with, um, and this was a prudent choice. I needed a running buddy because the the morning before my first morning in Japan, I had uh, uh, gone for a quick jog and then and gotten lost for three hours, and so I needed a a sort of guide, someone who was street savvy and who was uh, who could kind of sherpa me um, through the through the narrow streets of Japan, and so um, I said, hey, anyone want to go running tomorrow morning at six? And then everyone just kind of looks up like. Ugh. And and then so this very tall, looming figure at the end of the table sort of leaned over and he says, I will go with you. And so I said, oh, that sounds delightful. Then uh, thank you. And so, and I was walking back to my dorm and I was thinking, who is this guy? I haven't met him yet. And I was glad that I had a running buddy, but I was curious because I hadn't seen him talking to anyone else. And I woke up the next morning to like a pounding on the door and I opened it, and then there before me, sort of crouching a little bit because he didn't fit in the Japanese doorframe, was Nikolai, and he was this 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 towering figure who had jet black hair and these like flinty dark eyes, and this like cruel aristocratic face, and um, he he would wear these like faded polos that sort of reminded me made me think he was maybe sort of like the the son of a disenfranchised like eastern european lord and that his ancestors would would like ride around on like giant horses and carry sabers and things like that and so he and so he just was like he was standing before me and he said i think i know where we will go today and i said yes we will go there let's do it and so i was ready to to go into battle for him and so we took off into the morning mist and um, we were running along and um, i was running It's not really fair to say he was running. Um, He was more at a a cantering pace and uh, he wasn't fully extending his legs. He didn't need to when he was running with me. And I don't think he ever got a real run when we were together, but he was was very kind in that regard. But what was important about that morning was that I looked up at him and I saw this dark intensity as he was navigating his mental map of the canals and the side streets that made up our Tokyo uh, suburb. And I knew that there was something different about him. He was tapped into the energy of japan um he was he was just he was like he was living living in the city in a way that most of the foreigners were not and so i began to notice more things about him um one of the things was that most foreigners spent their time either going to like mega clubs and getting fucked up or going to um taking selfies and kimonos at shinto shrines and that was not nikolai's idea of what japan was about um, he was training his body, learning aikido, learning martial arts, and he was training his mind every night, mastering Japanese. And, and and sometimes he was not just socially distant from the dorm; he was physically distant. Uh, I would, I would, I would, I would see him walking through the hallway, and I'd be like Nikolai, you know, you haven't been here in, in a while. I haven't seen you in maybe five days. Where have you been? And you would say, I went to Osaka and I worked at a carnival. And then, and then I would be like, Oh, that's that's good. And then or, or he'd go be gone for a week and I'd say, Nikolai, what's up, where you been? And he'd be like, I went to Hokkaido and I translated for a Serbian couple who want the Japanese operation. And and this is his true voice. The the voice is authentic. Because Nikolai had this this lilting musical um, voice when he spoke English at least. Um, and he he would sort of. Um, I, I'm not sure whether it was a Russian English thing or whether it was a Nikolai thing. I like to think that it was his way of talking, and that he would he would just sort of start every sentence with sort of a question, and then he would just sort of like allow it to sort of answer itself. He wasn't really worried, or, or he would say something like, "You fucking Americans, you you why are you always killing everything or things like that." So, um, but this distance um, was. I didn't realize that how lonely he was until one night I was playing my guitar in my dorm, and he walked by, and you know the doorway is kind of like here, and he kind of like walked, and I, I saw his torso, and then he kind of ducked down, and he said, "Shit sounds good," and then he uh, he left, and I was like, "What is he?" Know? and and he came back and stood in the doorway, and he had a guitar in his hands, and without saying a word and without looking at me he sat down and he began to play this song and this like haunting gravelly voice sort of escaped from his mouth and he was he was bent over this guitar and in this embrace playing this this dark winter tune and i knew i knew he was singing about russia and he told me later he said i was singing about russia i was singing about the daily commute of people living in the USSR um, during the bad times, who would sit there on the on the metro and they'd look at the wall and there was a sign there that would read, on on many of these cars, um, no way out, and it was a it was a poorly worded sign put there by some sort of bu- bureaucratic agency, explaining to people that this was not an exit, um, but unluckily for them, it turned out that it turned out that most of these people didn't really have an exit in their lives. And, um, but to me, it was a song about Nikolai. It was a song about the cold, merciless hands who had seized him and arrested him when he was standing alone on the roadside, protesting the Sochi Olympics that had incarcerated him, that thrown him into jail. Um, just as they had thrown into jail, um his spiritual predecessors who were the romantics and the idealists of russia and um luckily for him he l- unlike them he got to leave he he left the prison the next morning and he was able to retreat into the uh the loving embrace of emotional anime of of shy coquettish tales of high school romance which had lured him to japan and um and I knew in that moment that really he was an exile from three worlds. From he, he was he was had too of a finer sensibility to live with the Russians. Um, he had he had he was clearly not Japanese, and and the, the the foreigners that were lived with us didn't understand him. And I I was wondering, and I wonder for the rest of my time there, why did he take this chance? Why did he come to Japan? You know why why did he make such a leap? And I remember him, him in his last days there, one of the last times I saw him, uh, he was walking down the, the hallway one afternoon. I said, Nikolai, and only got a few days left. Um, and you know, how was it? How was your trip? And so he looks at me and he says, mm, It was fucking terrible. And uh, I, I hate this country and it was wasting my time. And so I kind of looked at him because he went to one of the best universities in Japan and learned. You know, mastered Japanese, and even had his hair, by at that point, cut into a certain, like a sort of a shaved, um, you know, bob style, and I, and then I just laughed, because I realized that that Nikolai had learned perhaps much earlier than I had learned, or many of us have learned, that when you take a chance in life, you have to embrace whatever fate finds you, and that was his final revenge against his cold you know sort of lifeless um, aristocratic ancestors that were also happened to be imaginary but were very real to me and he they had fought with sabers and with with steeds that they ran down their serfs with and he he fought with with honesty and with you know, with being genuine and with crying at emotional anime films and um so I'm so glad that he um, also embraced me while I was there. So thank you very much. <clears throat> Richard Flan, thank you.
1: The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our assistant producer is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Illegal Pete's, Sexy Pizza, From the Hip Photo, and Renegade Brewing Company. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, and for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening.